Simon, how's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit wet around the edges. I've been out today going to support a mate of mine in Leytonstone where he's doing a holiday camp, trying to get me to do some well-being stuff with some of his young footballers. So it's lovely to be back on the grass and working with um, some young coaches, but also some young footballers. Um, but it was damp, mate. It was damp in London today. And um, I was looking forward to the cricket. You know, we, we do like to touch in on the cricket, George, every now and yeah. then. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, the rain again seems to have scuppered it. We will have to have a look at the result. Um, but I'm doing well. You went to France recently, didn't you? How was that? Yeah, good? that was wet as well. It's actually peeing it down. So seems I don't think really much luck. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's great today. Actually, we've got someone who's probably at the other end of the spectrum. They've got too yeah, much heat, gonna, you know. I so was going to say, you've, um, we've got another guest today who's, uh, shall we say, in sunnier climes, aren't they? Yeah. And um, you know what? I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because I, I met George um, when I had a, a brief foray in Spain, when I, I moved there for about 14 months during uh, lockdown. Got to go and see some of what he was doing in, at Estepona. I was really impressed by the stadium and the setup there. It was, it was amazing. And um, yeah, I've always wanted to just learn and understand a little bit more about how George got to that place because uh, I think it's going to be a, a really interesting and impressive story. So, um, yeah, I think we're, the listeners are really going to enjoy this one, especially if they love football, but also entrepreneurism. I think, um, you know, the way he's managed to get this off the ground, um, I'm definitely looking forward to learning something from it. And I'm hoping our, our listeners will as well. So uh, I think without any more time, we'll be wasted, me rambling on. Um, let's introduce George. So, George, it, it's great to have you, George. Uh, yep, and, good to uh, have you. George, it's George Jeremy, yeah? Is that how you say George it? Jeremy, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, it's a complicated surname that a lot of people get stuck on. So, um, yeah, done very well there. And, uh, you know, David, Simon, when, when you reached out, thanks ever so much, you know, first of all, for, for thinking of me and, uh, and having some interest, you know, what we're doing here and what is... Uh, a smaller lower league club here in Spain, you know. So I'm um, yeah, very very humbled to be invited on. No, it's amazing because I know that you're um, also getting promotions. I, I, I keep following your socials, and I'm seeing that each year um, you're uh, you're going up and up in the divisions, which is uh, fantastic. And uh, I think that's something that's probably going to carry on. But I've also seen that you're representing England at beach football or something. You know, how did that come about? Yeah, you know, so um, okay, you know, you never want to stop playing, and it's uh, one of the biggest challenges I think you know we all have when you're coming out of professional football is you know what's kind of uh, next that identity, and um, you know how can you stay connected? Obviously, and you know the coaching's fantastic, but there's nothing like like competing, you know. So about a year and a half ago, you know, the beach soccer league here in uh, in Spain has become very professional. It's an intense sort of season, only through the summer, and I um, mean you have teams like. Uh, Las Palmas, who I've been associated with this summer, um, you know, Malaga CF, um, Levante, all sort of La League clubs that we've heard of. And uh, England captain came out and played. Um, Aaron Clarks, who also works at the Arsenal Academy. So I mean, he came out and played for, for Malaga. So we played against each other. And um, the rest is kind of history, as you say, you know, an incredible honour and opportunity that you never think you're sort of really going to get. Um, you know, your first international call up at 35 years old. So, um, <laughs> might not have been at Wembley, but it's certainly been um, an exciting journey so far. Yeah, I, know, I think what a great place to go and play it as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, those experiences. Because I, I remember traveling in uh, Brazil and the first time I tried to play on sand, wow, it, it's more flick and kick rather than try yeah. to dribble with it, isn't it? And um, yeah. that's where my uh, technique 
was really shown up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I couldn't send the ball to people. It was it's it was not long ball football, is it, Simon? No, no, really no it, it, I couldn't just run with it. So that my attributes didn't really suit it. Uh, but if they stuck <laughs> me up front, I could I could get it and try and shove someone over and see if I could score. But George, we always start the the um, the pod. We're just asking the guests if they wouldn't mind giving us a bit of a bio, just because. Obviously, yeah. some of our listeners won't have heard who you are. Uh, and it's yeah. just great for us also to see how your journeys come about. So you can start wherever you want and um, take us yeah. through to present day. And uh, yeah, if we have definitely. any questions, we'll chip in. But it would be great just to have a listen. Yeah, thank you. Now, I'm sure most of the listeners wouldn't have uh, you know, really heard of where I'm coming from before. And I'll try not to um, put everyone to sleep, you know. But I was very fortunate. <laughs> sure the best place to start <laughs> Best place to start is, you know, I uh, came through grassroots football like anyone, starting as a young boy, you know, and absolutely loved it uh, from the get-go, really. I moved about a lot in my my early sort of life, you know, so I have a connection here to Spain. I went as far as Abu Dhabi with my family's uh, work and things all around sort of England, so um, I never really got settled playing anywhere. And then when I was sort of 10, 11, moved to, to Norwich, um, which is where my, my dad has... Uh, some sort of family ties and uh, got involved in the the Sunday league stuff that we all love there, the Royal the Rovers kind of stuff, you know, and um, guess I did okay. And, um, and Norwich City were, were kind enough to, to come and have a look at me. And that was really where my whole football education was, you know, I joined the academy there uh, at 10, 11 years old and, and came right through the the system until the, um, you know, the youth team. And, um, you know, we had Eddie Boothroyd as a, as a youth team coach, you know, went on to do a lot in the, the England setup as well. And um, yeah, it was a, a different time for the club you know and it's, it's kind of always a club that never is uh on a straight trajectory really but um you know, they're fantastic with their youth players there and you know i couldn't change my my sort of football development for for anything and and sort of through that you know it gave me uh a lot of my life skills i've kind of put on hold and then put into practice and i've had the chance to have my own football club you know which i'll sort of come on to later on but Went down to, to Bournemouth after that on the, the south coast. Uh, Sean O'Driscoll was the, the manager at the time. You know, Eddie Howe was actually a player at that point then, you know, with Jason Tindall. Um, there's some really interesting guys in the, in the dressing room and um, didn't get a lot of minutes, but amazing learning. I probably didn't have the right people really around me, sort of keep my feet on the ground. You know, I was 17, coming up to 18 and uh, wanted to, to take the world by storm. I didn't really have, you know, that key ingredient of patience. and um, it was through a, a Norwich connection with, um, obviously, it's Ken Brown and his son, Kenny Brown. He's now the West Ham um, Academy manager. So mm -hmm. he was out here in uh, in the Alicante region, um, a third division club. And, um, you know, we got in connected through sort of Norwich City links. And, um, and before I knew it, I was jumping on a plane, you know, uh, at London Stansted and straight across from Ryanair to see what was going to be, be happening over here in, in Spain. You know, it was... Uh, with my family connection here, it was uh, something I always wanted to to explore, and I, I sort of stayed in England so long, um, you know, because the football was going well. You know, I was at uh, you know Category One Academy, and you know, getting to play some fantastic oppositions that we used to do in the, the schoolboy stuff there. And it was um, not until I was a little bit older that I made the jump over here, and it was certainly um, you know, baptism of fire, very very different, a lot less structured. Uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later. I think there's pros and cons to both sides, and. Uh, mm. Playing in the third division here did really, really well first season as a, a still a 19 year old. And um, so that, I don't know if you guys know, but the B teams, um, they play in the, the league structure here. So, you know, we had uh, Levante B, Valencia, and Villarreal uh, reserve side. And uh, 
they sort of thought I was doing really well and um, I got player of the month in the league a couple of times and I got scooted up there and I was living in the residence with, you know, a hundred other Spanish uh, boys and not speaking Spanish fluently at the time. It was definitely a, a huge, huge challenge, you know, and it was sort of sink or swim and, and luckily I got through it and did quite well and had some, a couple of fantastic years there, but it was when Villarreal was really sort of firing and in the Champions League. I think you remember, you know, they got through to the knockout stages against Arsenal when there wasn't really a lot of light at the end of the tunnel and um, moved on. And uh, it was when we had the that big financial crisis, you know, which hit Spain especially hard mm. in sort of 2008, 2009. And, and that's kind of really what changed my my kind of pattern and my my lifestyle and what's brought me to what I'm doing now, you know. So the team I happened to be at um, unfortunately went bankrupt, um, sort of shut the doors up and it was, you know, best of luck to, to everyone. And it was around February time. So it was very difficult to find a, a new contract for that season in the European cycle. Um, I ended up moving to, to the A-League in, in Australia, which was a oh. completely new life experience. Um, from the lifestyle, I'd say it was, was absolutely fantastic. The football, you know, I wouldn't say anything bad against it, but um, mm. you know, it's going to take a, a little bit of time, you know, with only 10 teams in the league. And it was very different to a, a European model. And um, unfortunately, I was sort of getting into my early to, to mid-20s by this point and um, had quite a lot of trouble with, uh, I guess, the sort of burnout we talk a lot about, you know, with mm. the first, you know, the old academy players that came through, I started hitting a lot of injuries. Um, so I was on the sort of um, physio bed more than I wanted to be and, and felt like a bit of a spare part. So that's what started this journey, to be honest. I sort mm. of reached out, asked about, you know, what the youth structure looked like, what does, uh, you know, the grassroots football scene look like over there. And I was absolutely uh, horrified at how little the pathway <laughs> there is for, for yeah. young players. Um, you know, the A-League teams, didn't even have a U19 section at that point. I mean, now they've expanded it a little bit more. This is in sort of 2010, 2011. Um, and, and so, yeah, it got me thinking, if you're a, a top player in Melbourne, um, you know, huge, huge city, I think about 5 million people living there, how would you become a professional football player? You know, if you had a, a city that size in England and London, say, think of all the teams you can go and play for and yeah. I'd be a superstar, at least make a living, you know, um, from the Premier League down to, to non-league. And... Um, so that was kind of the, the brainchild, if you like, you know, for FC Malaga City. And uh, when my contract was coming to uh, to an end after, you know, three great years over there, um, I was very keen to, to come back to Spain and, and try and get back on track on the on the pitch. But also had made some some family connections with, you know, doing some little bits of coaching around the area, some sort of guest speaking or mentorship, if you like, and um, had eight players and their families that there's a common misconception there as well, you know, that, I kept hearing, if I was in Europe, if I was in Europe, you know, I could go there and I could do really well. Mm. Some would be at you know, Manchester United or wherever it might be. And I said, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's no joke over it over there, you know, yeah. especially in Spain. You know, everyone plays football. You know, here you've got Australian rules, cricket, you've got yeah. rugby. And um, I said, so these eight young chaps, they came over and I sort of chaperoned them for, for 28 days. They came for sort of a 30-day programme, if you like. And I, I gave them a little bit of technical training in the morning and drove them around some football teams. And, and one of them took the eye of a, of a club called Vélez CF and um, he signed for U19s there, which was, was mm. amazing. Um, and I sort of thought that was going to be kind of the end of that experience. And um, I was looking for a, for a new club to get playing. I was very fortunate. I signed at um, Jerez Deportivo, which was a kind of a, a real famous club um, that had started again. Um, they'd been in La Liga. They had to sort of plummet down the leagues and, and try and get it back on track. You know, so that was hugely exciting um and then the boys went back and went back for christmas in 
2013 and they were sort of knocking down my door phones emails and saying no, we want to come back we want to want to do it again i said well no it sounds lovely and they said we've got some friends that want to come you know so before you knew it the group of eight really? turned into a group of 14 um they came for the month of january 2014 went home again i carried on playing the season um and i sort of got pressured into doing a full-time training program and said, you know we just feel like we need longer in europe we really love it um we want to be living there and then so we created a full season program for the 2014-15 the campaign and, and Malaga City was kind of born, you know, so sort of a bio up my football that sort of led me up to, to FC Malaga City. Wow. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that, that <laughs> it, it's a nice journey because um, it's taking you from lots of different places. So footballs give you, you know, lots of experiences there in a variety of formats. And, you know, now you're, you're doing the beach football. And, you know, myself, I went to Australia on holiday trying to see if there's connections out there. Met Kelly Cross at Sydney FC. Um, he's a top, top guy, and I'm hoping to get him on the pod at some stage. Uh, and what he's done uh, there with the infrastructure. But as you said, you know, those clubs, they're big. Uh, they charge a lot of money sub-wise, don't they? So yeah, they're in that yeah. mindset of, you know, we'll pay for quality stuff. We're happy. Yeah. If, if we think it's value for money, we're happy to mm -hmm. do that. And I think... That that's such an interesting thing that they're going. You know what? We want you to treat us as pros. We'll come over, and yeah. you've then grown it from there. So it all came from that that small yeah. that small cohort of people from Australia. So for anyone who's not fully aware of it, where are you at now with yeah, what you offer? Yeah. Because I think yeah. it'd be good to get that perspective of how it started, where you're currently at. Definitely. And, and just, you know, before we sort of dive into that, that you sort of touched on there. And I think, you know, everyone wants to get into football first would be a football player. But, you know, the first thing I say to everyone, especially people at our academy and, and things like that, you know, football can be your passport to, to travel the world and, and learn a lot about yourself and, um, and network for what you're going to do next. You know, there's very, very small percentage of, you know, players that go into the game, hang up the boots and then go and sit on a beach, you know, because they've made enough money to support themselves. I think the more people can get in that mindset that it's going to be the journey to what you're going to do next. I think that would help a lot mm. of people, you know, especially sort of mental health wise and things. But I mean, the club, um, I mean, the growth is, is exponential, you know, so I mean, we started off with those small cohorts, like you say, um, speaking today, so going into to this season. So now as an academy, we own two football clubs. Um, mm. Obviously at the top of that tree is FC Malaga City. So we're in the, the third division. So that's not, that's actually the fourth tier. So that'd be the same as, as League Two, so it's the start of the right. uh, the National Football League system here. Um, mm -hmm. We have a female team that play at the third tier. So they've also had promotions. They play in the national category as well. So they're both reporting into the, the FA into into Madrid. We have a sister club called Almanieca City, um, which mm. play at the top of the non-league structure here in Spain. So they're one league behind FC Malaga City, and that kind of works as our, our U23s. So we put all the younger players in there, the ones that do really well, We'll transfer them across and sign them to to Malaga City, and then below that, you know, we're working with 150 young players throughout the the junior academy. You know, so they're coming here on a, a language exchange. They're coming here to study university programs. They're coming here to finish off their their high schooling. Um, you know, there's a big um, emphasis as well on the education, you know, standpoint as well. That you know, we're very transparent and clear with families. You know, we say, by your son coming here to FC Malaga City, the most likely thing to happen is they will not be a professional football player, you know, and mm. if we told them any differently, we'd be doing a huge disservice. Um, and, and we try and say, you know, the, the 
benefits you're going to see are going to be far more in your, your son or daughter, you know, independence, accountability, um, you know, timekeeping, um, loads of life skills that are going to be transferable afterwards while still using the vehicle of football to try and motivate, motivate them with their, um, you know, their education as well, you know, because in a very difficult age, those teenage years, mm -hmm. when you're in your home environment, a lot of the times you can kind of go down different tracks that maybe aren't optimum to, to, you know, getting the best grades that you can, you know, so we try and create that triangle between the football club, the education piece and the, and the family to, to make the young people the best version of themselves possible. And do you have satellite offices dotted around the globe? Because um, I'm sure I'd seen that you, you you branch beyond Malaga City itself. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. yeah so it it was getting um, something a big project we were looking to expand with a lot more before COVID hit. You know, so we had mm. um, a centre to launch in in Michigan um, at the university there um, in Chicago. We have a, a partner school in North Carolina also in Houston um, and Orange County. So we have three in America under our umbrella. And um, there's between 20 to 50 athletes, so a bit younger from sort of 12 to 15. And the idea is to get our methodology into people earlier. Because um, you know, a lot of times players come here and they do really well, but they just have some habits and, and things that haven't been coached that we just don't have the time with them to, to be able to adapt them and adjust them to a getting into our first team but also you know what the real goal is is to move them on to bigger clubs um you know so we want to try and get our coaches with players as early as possible but we understand that a 12 year old is not possibly going to be able to, to come and live away from mum and dad just yet so mm -hmm. we have the satellite centers across and the idea is then the top talents at 16 17 we then funnel them to come across and we invite them to come into the the academy here um as i mentioned before covid that was a something we're really pushing forward with um, slowed mm -hmm. up a lot because of how difficult travel restrictions simply were for a long time, yeah. especially into to North America. And so since then we've moved that model slightly, which is making a sort of club partnership model. So we have it, Tour Athletic, um, which we're officially partnered with. So they're in the third tier of South African football, um, just miss out on promotion. Um, so we get players regularly from there with a foundation from Zimbabwe. And then about six weeks ago, we just signed with um, Brisbane City in the MPL, um, so the one below the A-League, and they've actually applied for a franchise to the new B-League that's being created in, um, in Australia. So rather than us physically putting in all the infrastructure, people on the yeah. ground, et cetera, we're trying to look for people with a similar ethos, mm -hmm. which we think are doing things the right way. They like the way we work. We find that synergy, and we're trying to build those partnerships as opposed to always making a brand new project ourselves and having to get it off the ground. And will you, I suppose, as those partners grow and develop, obviously where your focus is is what you're doing in Spain, but will you, I suppose, move players to those other partners around the world? Is that is that on the yeah. rate on the plan as well? Definitely. So our goal obviously is is selfish. You know, we want to, you know, have these partnerships and, and have a sort of a larger player pool from a younger age so we can go and visit these clubs, talent ID a lot earlier, and then we want to try and filter players to come here. But at the same time, you know, say for um, Brisbane City, we're getting boys from Perth that come to our academy. We're getting boys from Melbourne, um, Sydney that, you know, wouldn't be on their radar. They come here maybe as a 17-year-old, spend two, three years at 19. They need to go back for whatever reason or it doesn't quite work out in our first team. They could be a, a you know, perfect player that could fit straight in at, at Brisbane City, and uh, you know they're screaming out for players that have Aussie passports because how strict the uh, the import and visa player um, slots are in those divisions. So, where did this passion come from? So, obviously, you're you're, you're into football, playing football to a, a really high level, 
Uh, but the passion to now drive this, what would you classify it as? It's not just mentoring. There's a lot to it. Like you said, there's the education, there's supporting them with life skills, understanding that life is a process and it's constant growth and development. So where's that passion come from? Has that always been in you or is that something that's come along later? Yeah, I think it's a you know, really interesting question. I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment where I sort of said, you know, this is, is what I want to do. But I think a massive part of, of what sparked it, it was probably um, subconsciously before I, I've sort of brought it out and now really dedicated, you know, what's 24 hours of my life to try and run this football club, run this football program and, and help these young people. Um, you know, coming through the scholarship system in, in England, it's very cutthroat, it's very ruthless. Um, and as you know, I was I was lucky to go on and, and play almost 10 years um, as a full-time professional and um, have all these great experiences we've just mentioned about, you know, but nearly every single boy that I grew up with from the age of 10 to, to 18, most of them no longer play football, you know, and it was crushing to see how they were affected by maybe not being selected for a scholar, once you're a scholar, not being selected for a, you know, a first-year pro um, and, and see them sort of be destroyed and what they're doing now, um, you know, they don't look the same, they don't live the same, they don't have the same um, you know, gleam in their eyes. And, uh, you know, that was so sad to see the change in people that were so close to me and part of my development as a, as a young adult. And, and I kind of thought, you know, this isn't right, you know, that we're always telling people as well, you know, we'd love to sign if you haven't got enough experience. We'd love to put you in, but, you know, the other right back's got more experience or whatever it is. And I sort of said, well, everyone needs more experience. How would you ever get it? And it was just kind of like catch-22. Yeah. And so I, I sort of had this passion. Hang on a minute. I always felt when I was a young player, I could have been really a lot longer you know, before I got my chance. Um, and so I made a club where I said, you know, I'm going to do things transparently. Um, you know, a lot of times, well, the other side of it is people sort of dropped into non-league or lower league clubs or went away. I had a friend that went and played in, in Turkey, for example, in the, the top league there at the same time when Darius Vassell went. And... Um, you know, you see unpaid wages, um, mm. Stephen Coulkes, but very publicly recently, unpaid wages, things like that. And that was a very common theme um, during my, my first stint here in Spain. And I said, I'm going to make a football club that's transparent. If we're going to, you know, pay you X, which is going to be next to nothing, that's what it's going to be. Um, yeah. We're going to sign exclusively young players. We're going to prove with unsigned, um, unknown young players that you can achieve great things. And and that's kind of been the, the, the ethos since we started. And, um, you know, for a lot of hard work and um and refusing to take no for an answer we've proven that it does um you know with foreign guys that no one's heard of that no one wanted to sign or was, was looking for you know we've had five promotions in in six years um and you know people have labeled us kind of the the southward of, of southern spain and, and things <laughs> like that and you know, we kept going yeah. up and up and and now everyone's sort of asking you know what's the 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 magic dust that you're doing and there's no real secret you know it's believing in young people helping them believe in themselves and, and lots and lots of hard work mm. but do do you think i suppose you know taking a step back from um from what you've just said there do you think in some way you're in effect kind of sculpting these younger players into almost like a, an image of yourself in that you know you've played in a lot of different countries you obviously um you know, you were motivated to succeed, but you were also motivated, so to speak, to get off your ass and look for opportunities. Whereas, yeah. is that the common model for a lot of footballers? Or would a lot of footballers, if they hit that wall of rejection, do they just kind of drift out the game and do something else? 
I think, though, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions there in terms of a lot of layers and uh, yeah. probably need a couple of podcasts to get through it all, you know. <laughs> but um, what I'd say is that's a, a theme in, I'd say, in general with the, the generations that we're seeing now, you know. So we've been going 10 years that, you know, without going away from your questions, a real quick example. So no, no, ten, there's a few layers ten, there. I guess, I that, yeah. <laughs> so 2014, you know, we're getting... Um, lads coming in you know so they're born in around 1997 1998 and, and we go on a bus journey for three hours to wherever it is to play an away game we're getting four or five dvds we're voting on it we're shouting we're carrying on we're having a great time we watched the film together and there was kind of this communication skills and a, and a real camaraderie you know you fast forward to the last sort of three four years or even before covid happened we'd go from malaga to valencia which is a seven hour bus ride they get on headphones like you gentlemen have and they'll sit next to each other and won't even know the name of the person next to them, you know, if they didn't ask, and it's kind of young people now, it's like, when's this getting done for me? What time do I have to be there? What are you going to do for me? What are you going to give me? What do I get for? And um, and I think that's kind of a common theme with younger people. And we're now um, as a club and, and as a group of, of staff and mentors is how do we connect with this new generation? And like you say, try and sculpt and, and instill those kind of qualities because, um, you know, myself personally, I, didn't I never really, not that I didn't fit in because I'm you know quite adaptable but I didn't agree with the kind of change room culture mm. when I was playing in in the UK and things like that you know it was kind of you know without naming anything or speaking out of turn about anyone it was very much you know kind of uh you go training it's Monday Tuesday Wednesdays are always off Thursday Friday play Saturday and if you did anything extra well you're really busy you know and it's like why mm. would you go and do a Pilates class or should we go down the bookies or should we go and play golf? And it was, <laughs> yeah. so I never really wanted to get into that model. You know, I think as a footballer, if you're, it's changed now, players are a lot, lot more, but back then it was a single session and you went home, uh, maybe lift a few weights a couple of days a week. And I think you had all that time where you could be developing yourself personally, you know, even getting, you know, a new skill that you're going to use for after football, because unfortunately some players think it's going to last forever, you know? Mm, and, yeah. um, and and so I think to answer your question, maybe everyone isn't like that, and maybe I'm a little bit um, different. But certainly, I would like to. I, I feel very positive with the experience that I've been able to have with football. And I always just try and share that and and show people that you know when Plan A doesn't work, there's always Plan B, C, and even D. You know. Um, I, I'm an assessor for Pearson, uh, George, and uh, I assess these young scholars in the Premier League and all the way down. And I can see quite stark differences in players' mentalities. And I think you probably see that as well. I've had some players on at 18, so mature. Mindset is on a different level in relation to where they're going to. And then mm. others who get to the end and are unsure, how has this worked out for me? And you go, your motivation, your desire to be the best. When I mm. compare you to that child... And he is still a child. He's 18, but he's the under-21 captain at certain... He's, they've just been promoted to the Premier League. My mind was blown in like, wow, your mentality to want to be the captain of that team, not just 21s, but first team, is unbelievable. And then mm. all these other ones who are trying to find it. And I think that's where you've touched on before, the mental health, the process. Look, failure or setbacks are just something that happens. How yep. you process through them and get to where you're going to, that's where growth, development, et cetera, uh, is taking place. So in and around the club, what what sort of challenges are you facing around trying to overcome this younger generation with some of them, especially because your model is slightly different, isn't it? Because they're paying for your service, where mm. in the other ones. 
So there's an expectation, I imagine, from parents and uh, guardians yeah. where they go, well, if I'm paying Malaga City X, I need yeah. X from them. So what sort of challenges do you face in the solutions that you, you've come up with that you found work for you guys? Yeah, so, you know, across the spectrum, obviously, it's two different kind of scenarios. Obviously, the younger players that are coming in for their sort of formation and, and development, they're covering their, their living costs and, and their fees. And, and they, so we're, in essence, putting in. So another thing that I, I had another strong passion about is the FIFA Article 19, you know, the sort of which mm -hmm. stops a lot of players moving around different countries at a younger age. You know, I don't see that as correct. And um, as long as the welfare is being looked after, I don't see why a 14, 15-year-old can't go play football where he where he wants to in the world. And I mean, I know there's been problems historically with that, but I think of all the technology and where we are now globally, you could easily facilitate that to, to happen. You know, you know, you, you guys yourself being involved in football that you knock on the door at 18, 19 and say, hi guys, I'm here, I'm ready now for my trial. They say, well, you know, you're sort of three, four, five years too late, you know? So mm. um, that that was the real passion to start the, the junior program is, you know, so we're playing exhibition games, which are outside of, of federated competitions. Um, so they're, they're friendlies in essence, you know, so that program is very much more holistic. Um, it's very much about player centred um, mm. and their personal development um, as a person, as much as a football player, um, installing good values um, that we think that their families would want them to have. And, you know, the, the feedback that we get when they go home, you know, maybe they're now helping mum with the, the washing or, or carrying the plates off the dinner table, which they weren't doing before they came here. Mm. Um, and then, you know, they're very much in a, in a kind of watered down, I like to call it um, diluted safe environment, you know, so not getting treated the same as our first team. We mm -hmm. try and give a snapshot of what a football club could or would look like um, without some of the the more harsher side of it. That is, that is the reality when you go into uh, in an elite high performance sort of situation because mm -hmm. um, they're not ready for that. Maybe they're going from uh, training, you know, three nights a week or plus one person transition four times to training full time, you know, so. With the junior teams, it's very much more about adapting them of what it looks like to train full time, getting up every morning and having that scrutiny and um, dealing with fear of failure is a big one that we talk about. Um, dealing with having perfectionism, you know, some of them are very driven, like you say, but they drive themselves crazy, you know, and mm -hmm. they can spiral very quickly um, out of confidence. And, and so, you know, with them, they're kind of going through a modular program, um, which you know, we've worked on and built up over over 10 years of experience, you know, so challenges mostly in that age groups is homesickness um and the way we started combating that now is we take the elephant out of the room you know so we say every single player here will have some form of homesickness whether that's day one you know you're missing mum's cooking and you're the smell of your bed linen straight away whether that comes after six months when you get dropped and you've played every game and you think oh, i'm mm -hmm. gonna throw the towel in you know yeah. every every player will go through it so that's the main challenge that we have and we try and deal with with families and you know, we're really reaching out for as much information as possible Sometimes we're working with a, a young man or young young lady, you know, for, for 12 to 18 months, you know. Mum or dad's been them for 16 or 17 years. They know them much better than us, you know. So we say any conversations with them in, in their WhatsApps, please relay any information or changes that you see so that we can be aware and mm -hmm. try and stay on top of a situation before something snowballs out of control. You know, sometimes it can be so silly that, you know, I don't like the boiled eggs at breakfast. But if we know that, any problem that we do have, we can try and solve it. Any problem yeah. we don't have, you know, we're not not David Blaine kind of mind readers. And then on the on the flip side of that, you know, we're, we're sticking to our values of, of playing young players and youth development. But being a victim of our own success, we're now in a professional division where last year Marbella won our league, for example, um, a million euro budget, you know, just for players, which wow. we're uh, we're not even 10% of that. And, um, and, you know, so that comes with its own challenges where you want to stick 
to your to your values and making sure young players play. But then you know when you concede ninety ninth minute corners every week, it's uh mm. it's a very very difficult challenge and and trying to have that patience and even checking against your own beliefs, you know, because you're like, why, why do we keep making the same mistakes? And why do young players, you know, switch off and not have the same concentration levels as a, as a guy who's half as fit as him, you know? And um, that's been a big thing this year, which we had to have kind of a reset because we got into third division. Um, we got a little bit nervous. You've seen likes of Almeria reserve team, you know, obviously they've got a, a big um, Saudi owner now is pumping money in. You've got, you know, the Malaga reserve team, Real Jaén, they get, you know, five, 6,000 fans. As I mentioned, Marbella, huge football club. Um, and, you know, so we kind of wanted to get more more local um, grit and players that knew the league. And we, we finished 14th out of 16 teams. So at the time of the, the last ball being kicked, that meant relegation. Um, but there was already rumours that they were going to restructure the leagues because it was insanity to have a 16-team season, uh, sorry, 16-team league. So we reverted back to the 18 team model, which meant we got a reprieve effectively. Um, uh-huh. So we kind of had a had an idea of it. Um, they got confirmed after the season had uh, had finished. But for me, that was the best thing ever to go through that hurt and and that pain and and sort of seeing that failure in the mirror and then recognizing that okay, we failed, but we didn't fail and fall on our own swords. You know, we went away from our own DNA. We went away from our own beliefs. And for me, it's been the the biggest kickstart we could ever have wanted. And that's led us to go away, dive super deep and make a new five-year plan, um, which five years ago, we started in one of the bottom regional leagues and we said, we want to be here. Once mm-hmm. we got there, we threw away all that work and said, right. this is how we're going to mm-hmm. do it now. And now we've we, we've gone back to what we want to do. And uh, we had the first day of uh, of pre-season today and um, it was it was fantastic to get back on the, the pitch. It's come around very, very quick, I must say, you know, with all the administration over the summer, the reprieve and then making a totally different squad. Um, but one thing I spoke a lot about to the, the players today was here we have a tendency or we had kind of a culture that you're in Spain, you should learn Spanish, you know, which I think mm. um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's fine. And, and I agree with that to, to a degree. But then, you know, you start thinking we had a boy, for example, signed from the, the Portuguese second division, came through Fluminense Academy. He got off a plane at, at midday lunchtime yesterday speaks Portuguese and, and and that's about it really how can we expect him by Monday morning to learn Spanish you know mm-hmm. so I spoke about that you know our local players we've got about 13 14 that are Spanish and from the region and I sort of said you woke up this morning in the same house you've been in the last two years you know you woke yeah. up you had the same breakfast you drove the same car to get to the training ground this boy just come here can't understand a word that we're talking about in this team talk he was in a different country or a different continent yesterday. We're the ones that need to help them, even if it's learning mm. one or two words of Portuguese, yeah. to, to welcome them in. And that's a big angle we're going with this year because sometimes uh, the foreign players, we, we've got a larger amount this year, but they still can feel very isolated and back to that homesickness again, you know. So um, that's a, a big thing that we're, we're focusing on this season. I suppose where we've discussed so far is obviously, you know, the passion you've got for what you're building, um, you know, the journey you've been on with your background in football. I suppose the other area to this is, you know, you're building a business um, from scratch. Now, Mm. has, I suppose, the less glamorous side of, you know, of building a business, getting people involved, you know, key staff, things like that. Has that been the bigger challenge or has the football side of things been the bigger challenge? I think I think the football is about five percent of what we do, and that's always the easiest. You know? It's what we all love, and uh, and as long as you're uh, you're committed, and dedicated, that's easy. And I think you know you kind of yeah. allude to their 
people are always the biggest problem in anything, whether that's football business yeah. or, or whatever it might be, you know. So, um, no, that's been a, a massive challenge, you know. So, myself, I'm going through my, I'm on the way for pro course at the moment and I've been through my, my coaching badges. Some of my favourite ones were the FA Youth modules, but in terms mm. of a, a business degree or, you know, going on to some of the courses, I've done nothing. So, it's been kind of the, the school of life and, and from the travelling, yeah. what I've learned and, so I've made lots of mistakes and had to, you know, seek out. One thing I've got, I like to think, a big growth mindset. I'm very open, um, especially to, to criticism and knowing that I can't do something. You know, so I've looked to find people, whether that's a good accountancy, you know, firm to help you with that side of things. You've got to keep yeah. things right, you know, for the tax man, et cetera. Um, whether you get, you know, good physios to look after people, et cetera. All different people in their different departments. And, and that's been key um, because for me, it's learning on the job. And this really is effectively a master's for me. You know, this is going to last maybe 12 months, 24 months. You know, we're 10 years in and it just looks like it's going to be, you know, going for another 10 years is the most likely thing. Um, but that was never the intention, you know, when we had that first group of eight boys coming from, from Australia, you know. So uh, <laughs> the biggest challenge has been learning about all of the things that I'm definitely unfortunately not massively interesting you know spanish tax law or, or spanish employment mm. law is on my list you know when i do my, my bedtime reading um you sure know, it helps you sleep <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's had um it's pitfalls and um and, and lots of hurdles and, and red tape and mistakes but i feel like we're getting to a much better point now and again covid was really uh a great sort of circuit breaker for that in a way you know it, it went so quickly the first six years mm. of the club it was it was kind of just falling you know down the mountain and just trying to keep running fast enough so you didn't sort of fall over mm. and um because it's so relentless every day you know i was still very much involved on the pitch for a lot of it the first five years of the academy i was still playing as a player and this was kind of on the side um you know so you don't even get time to sleep let alone upskill yourself or think about things you know covid comes and here it was um very strict you know so you sort of had a good three four five month window just to sit down and take stock and evaluate everything where is this going well where is this going wrong and, and what do we need to change and we've gone from strength to strength you know since we came out the uh the other side of covid so that that growth mindset that openness to learning and development who has helped you along the way that you would give a shout out to george and say you know what that person at that time really gave me some good insights or a steer here, which unlocked something for me, which I'm forever grateful for. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't probably wouldn't be heard of but a coach called Dougie Evans at uh, Norwich City. You know, so he was a, a Welshman and uh, probably one of the biggest influences um, on, my, on my early career for sure. And, and then, you know, about trying to give the FA a shout out, I did the, the youth modules I mentioned there mm. and um, Ben Bartlett was on one of the first courses yep. that I, that I did and I thought it was fantastic the way he delivered the information and um, really got me thinking to, to coach a different way and um, look a lot more into the the person not just the X's and O's and um, you know that that was definitely a, a real a real breakthrough as well so is there anyone on that business side where actually yeah. you probably thought um, this is where I need a bit more support or yeah. guidance is there anyone who's been uh, you know alongside you in that field as well yeah, so um, I mean, two things on that. I'd say that's a, a continuing process. You know, that's definitely that's on my list of uh, what one this year is find a, a mentor myself. Um, that's sort of a personal development challenge I got right now. But you know, without being, um, I'm too stopping. She's not here kicking under the table. My wife sort of came into the the club and um, she's really tidied up a lot of stuff. She's a lot more 
meticulous than me and, and doesn't mind spending a bit more time on, on spreadsheets and things like that. You know, I'm very much more, uh, you know, dashing around and I'm happy to send a WhatsApp with something or uh, a PDF across to someone like that. You know, so she sort of keeps the day to day ticking along and, and reigns me in. I'm very much more the, the ambitious one and, you know, let's do it and find out what damage or cost it's going to have later on as where she's very much more has processes. She's not a big football fan, you know, so... Mm. If I say we really can get this striker in or, you know, we really need to take the under-17s to, to play PSG, you know, if we can't afford it, we can't afford it. As we're already gone to PSG and then looked at the uh, the bills afterwards, you know. So that's been a, a real big plus, which has um, involved the last three, four years and um, massive, uh, massive change to the club for, for sure. Because that's one of the things I think uh, is impressive is the fixtures you get some of these these teams. Yeah. You know, what, just talk us about some of the, the highlights of the fixtures that you've had. Yeah, I mean, the, the fixtures are, are mind-blowing, you know, and you wish you were sort of 17, 18 again, you know. So, I mean, the second half of the season just gone, we were lucky to go across to Spurs. Um, you know, we're a global partner of them now, and so we played their, their 18s. Um, we went to PSG um, around Easter time, um, played a mixture of their 2006-born boys and 2007s, and we hosted them. They came over in June to sort of as a, a season finale. We did a triangular tournament with, with Granada as well that were kind enough to send down their, their U19s. Um, we've played Barcelona three of the last four years in, in La Masia, which, you know, for me is all the players has come through there. And I'm a Real Madrid fan, but there's something about when you go into the, uh, the training ground there, you know, and think of, you know, your Messi's, Busquets, PK's, all these guys that come through there, you know. And we were lucky enough the first year we played... Um, Ricky Pugh, who's I think he's at LA Galaxy now, LAFC, you know, it didn't quite work mm. out for him. But he, watching him go right through into the the first team and thinking he was playing against, you know, our, our Motley crew just a few years before, you know, that was what really nailed home, um, you know, really the stage that we're putting these boys on, you know. And, and that's what we try and remind them. We played so many big teams. You know, we went to Celta Vigo, Mallorca. It's kind of the who's who about name dropping all these clubs and we've got a very close relationship with Atletico Madrid as well. Um, they've got a good scout in the region that believes a lot in what we're doing and and the boys kind of get numb to they, all these opportunities. I think it's going to keep coming and coming and coming. Mm. We say, you know, make the most of it. You know, it's, it's incredible what you're doing and, you know, if you see someone have an off game and obviously we can't, we can't always play well all the time but um, when you don't see effort, when you don't see passion or someone being proud to put on the, you know, the shirt. It, it's a shame when you think, you know, you're maybe from the other side of the world. How many young boys or, or young ladies in this situation would give their right arm to be stepping out onto the pitch against any of these uh, these clubs, you know? And they think, oh, well, it's our first come to this week, but, you know, Malaga City, they'll get us Mallorca next week or we'll go across and play Norwich City or whoever it is. And we try and, that's, a, that's another big challenge, kind of preparing them, you know, that how special these games are, you know, because it can't be that the coaches enjoy it more. I, I suppose this is a good opportunity or good break in the conversation because I know some of our listeners, well, a lot of our listeners, they're going to want to find out a bit more about everything you're doing. Where's the best place for them to go? Is it your website or um, social media? Do you want to give us a, give us a blast of where they can find, uh, find you and everything? <laughs> Yes, I mean, if you're into social media, you know, the the media people do a fantastic job here. And I think, you know, we always talk about trying to tell the story because, you know, our audience is global and a lot of time the families are a long way away. So we try and keep our Instagram is very updated. Um, You know, so if you see Malaga City, search it as daily updates, stories, interviews, game highlights, um, you know, and then for sort of more detailed info on 
on who we are and a bit more about the club. You know, the website would be a good portal call, you know, so it's just fcmalagacity.com. Um, and always, you know, we're very approachable. So drop us an email. We'll get back as quick as we can as well. And um, feel free, you know, for my, my contact details and my Twitter and stuff to be, be shared as well at the end of this. Because mm. I think there's almost a link um, for these lads who do get released, you know, because like I say, with Pearsons and those other ones yeah. um, who are, you know, being told they're not going to be contracted, there's almost uh, an opportunity for you to offer those trial days for those yeah. guys. Is that something that you offer already and we're just not aware of it? Or is it something you've considered? No, so the, what I would say that the boys that are coming out of any football league club, um, they mm. get support from the LFE. So we work as a, an approved ah. partner club with the LFE and they can get funded to come over here and, and be at the academy, you know. So um, any any players listening that maybe in their second year scholarship and things like that, um, or know they're going to be getting released, um, that is something you know, we get a bit more info about the club and then, you know, we can help them connect with the, the LFE. But they should have a regional officer as well. Um, mm. We've had, you know, sort of 10 plus players come out through that process um and, and it's a yes fantastic for all parties yeah because i see these lads uh, you know i do these um assessments from probably about december to through to well june this year for a few couple of late ones so you know I, i'd be happy to say to them look have you considered uh malaga you know because it's a great opportunity the lifestyle opportunities but also the fixtures and um you know just go and see because you, you did yeah, it. Yeah. You, you went and thought, you know what, I'm going to go and try somewhere else. Try that new culture. Because that was the big thing for me moving to Spain. Dave rented in Spain for a while during COVID as well. Mm. It's just experience, isn't it? That's what life's about. I think yeah. when you look back, you want to be able to go, you know what, I give it a go. I wasn't fearful. Yeah. And that fear of failure stuff that you said earlier really resonated with me. Where It's like once you get there and you accept it, you're going to enjoy it. It's just don't yeah. let your fear get the better of you um, and stop you from doing things in life. Because I think that can be something that, you know, you'll regret potentially when you, when you get further down the track. So the other one that we, we always look at here is what, what have you most disliked about the industry? We call it the good, the bad yeah. and the ugly. This is the ugly bit, you know. What, Very what, much the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is it about this industry or life where you just go you know what that, that pushes me buttons a little bit that grates me because uh, i think that's where some of our, our biggest learnings and developments can happen so we're always fascinated to see how people's perception of different things um and how they you know then go about trying to work through that or get around it etc so is there anything that you've disliked about the industry or you know if you had your time to change you would do i think you know Again, I could I could probably give a list of ten, but you know my main sort of uh, <laughs> you know bugbearers are sort of you know um, for me I find there's such a we're creating at the minute a real false environment. You know when I go back and when I visit, you know the EPPP clubs, I think the EPPP naturally um, you know, they're they're claiming that it's improving so much the national team and and players coming through, homegrown players, etc. But it's creating a, a really false economy in terms of you know you see these boys from nine years old on bowling greens you know with 15 mm. pictures at the training center and you know maybe from the time they're a scholar they earn enough money to buy you know whatever car they want and things like that and they get released and come out and then you know, we've approached a lot of players oh, i couldn't go there i couldn't pay for that well, what are you going to do you know mm. and uh this sense of yeah. entitlement that it's all just going to be okay um uh, i don't even blame the players obviously they're the ones that are portraying that 
that image, but it comes from the clubs not educating them early enough, you know, looking at a loan system, looking at a, a B team system as well in England, you know, where you get to see the, the realities of what football looks like, you know, some of the, the, the boys, you know, if they went out on, on, on loan to Barnet and played there or wherever it might be, you know, they're going to see a lot more of, uh, of real football. And for me, it just comes really to a question, is it a duty of care for those clubs to care about that? Or is mm. it just for them to cherry pick one or two, you know, is it a numbers game or is it about the people? And, you know, that's for me, which I find quite hard is uh, seeing how quickly people are cast aside and, and how it can become sort of like a meat market a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd be honest, it's been really refreshing what you said uh, towards the start of our podcast today was about how obviously we focused a lot on the, on the football and the developing of players. But the thing that I suppose I'll take away from this is kind of how you're more focused on you're developing people. You're not just developing mm. those players. And I, I must admit that's lost <laughs> in most yeah. of the things you hear coming out of, shall we say, the football industry. It's all about, you know, the next Messi, the next Ronaldo, the yeah. next who it's not about creating the next well rounded player that yeah. might so happen to be like the next Messi. Do you know what I mean? It, it it's it's refreshing to hear that approach you have got. But I think as well, you know, it, it's maybe from experiencing that as well, but also it's that I feel as a, I'm, I'm a dad as well, you know, I have a young child and I feel that we have a fantastic opportunity. You have people that love something, which is their, their football, and we have a vehicle to make them a fantastic version of themselves. You know, unfortunately, some people yeah. don't have a hobby, don't have a passion. So they sort of go through life looking for what is my passion. They can get very, very lost, you know. You have an audience. If they're at your football club, they're a talented young player. You now have them in the palm of your hand to help them improve in all aspects of their life because they love what they're doing and they want to, you can use that passion as a vehicle. And I think that's what all football clubs should be doing. Um, and just us, you know, we have now three members of staff that started out as players, didn't work out. They're now full-time employees, you know? So I think clubs as well, if you're, you know, whoever you might be in the Premier League or Championship, you've got all these boys who played from nine to 18. Um, they might live, you know, 20 minutes away from your club. They might have had a season ticket and been in the terrace for 10 years. They're inside your DNA. You know, you can promote yeah. them. They didn't work out as a footballer, but they're going to bleed for your club and can maybe be mm. there for the next 25 to 30 years. But that's never really the mindset. It's kind of when you're not a player, door shuts and, and I hope you go yeah. you know, well with what you're doing. And I think it's a missed opportunity um, to really bring people through your own system um, that, again, you know, would have such a passion for your football club. I think I see the resources uh, and we're quite blessed in the UK, as you'll know, George. But at those Cat 3 clubs, there's someone wearing about 10 different hats um, and they're on yeah. that, that lower wage. And you 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 know that they, their heart's in a good place, but sometimes they are bouncing through to get to the next cat, the next cat, and, mm. and to get to that higher level. And sometimes I think those players at those clubs do miss that opportunity. So to know that there's... Yeah organizations like yours that are offering that second chance not that it's a second chance but an yeah. opportunity to go look let's take this um it is trying to get that to scale i suppose and um offer more opportunities so what hopes and dreams do you have for you've mentioned a five-year plan yeah. you know so yeah. five-year strategy coming up what where are the hopes and dreams for what you're trying to achieve going forward you know what are you shooting for yeah, so for us on the women's side is where we're most ambitious. Um, you know, the women's game 
um, naturally is growing at a, a rapid rate, but still isn't, you know, in terms of financial and things like that, you can be a lot mm. more competitive with a lot less. Um, so we want to get to the second division, which would be absolutely huge, but we feel is realistic. So that's something in the next five years. Um, and on the men's side, talking about fear of failure in, um, in individuals, us as an, as an entity and an organization, we want to approach this year without a fear of failure. And we have set very clearly that we want to be in the top 10 of this division. Um, we think we have the training system, the training methods, we're full-time. We don't see why we can't do that. Um, and then, you know, we presented today that our five-year plan is to get another promotion, which now would be, albeit we, we think it would be via the playoffs. There's a playoff system here, so the champion goes up. You know, we will never really have the money to knock around with, with those guys that are going to be lifting the trophy. But the next four teams go into, uh, into a playoff, you know, it's down to fifth place. And, and that's something that we think is very realistic. If we can keep a core group of the young players that we've got at the moment, um and, and keep them together for a longer period rather than maybe they come in and then we send them off to another team in the same division we're in for a bit more money or they come in they go to a team in the league above do a one-year contract and they come back to us or, or whatever it may be we're saying to people you know we've kept trying to move players on sort of short-term small deals we're looking for people to have a buy-in and be with us for a sustained period and we really believe that we can then galvanize that and take a group with a few sprinkles of um you know, some experienced heads from around the region to, to really push on to the next tier. Do you think it's a, a model you could franchise? Do you think that's something you could do? Um, because, you know, the, the work that you've done in a 10-year period, plus been impacted by COVID, as you said, it's been exponential. You know, it's, it's, it's an impressive yeah. growth. And I imagine that there'll be other either ex-footballers or people, like you said, maybe coming through a pathway. Yeah. Um, and they would go, wow. Is there an opportunity for me to replicate what they've done under their umbrella? Because I, I think all the learnings that you've got over that 10-year period, it's invaluable yeah. for someone who probably yeah. thought that could exist somewhere else. Is that something that you've ever considered or is it too still too young in where you are at the moment? No, no. I mean, not first of all, not at all. No, it's, I think the learnings we do have is incredible in terms of even around in, international transfer clearances, all federation, FIFA administ administration. It's been, you know, a, a very steep learning curve. But, you know, what I would say on that is it's about the person that's looking to do it or the group mm. of people, you know. So yeah. we, we're, a, we're a sports charity, you know, which so it's not a commercial enterprise. Um, and I'd say they're not saying as a commercial business it, it, it couldn't work or, or something like that. But I think you need to have a passion for young people um, and young athletes first and foremost. And if that's your intentions going in, then by all means, you know, if, if that's yeah. what your goal is and what you want to do, I'm sure it could work somewhere else, you know. Um, but you're going to have to be prepared for a long slog, you know, a lot of hours <laughs> for not very much. Um, yeah. it's, it's a different type of reward, you know. And it's not even just uh, the personal group of people that want to start something. It's having those people having the right network around them, you know, a family, a wife that is prepared to, to support you as well and understand the sacrifice it's going to take. And I've been very lucky, you know, you said about giving people a shout out. So mm. um, Ajahn yeah. Dominguez, who um, is still, um, he's running the first team with myself this year. He's been here since almost day one in that 2014-15 season. So he was there when we did our first ever group session. Um, you know, started off on petrol money for a couple of hundred euros, just wanted to help out because he thought it was a great idea. You know, here we are 10 years later, you know, he's now got, he's now got married, um, you know, I was at his wedding, um, he's got, a, he's got a child now and he makes his full-time living off FC Malaga City, you know, so that was someone mm -hmm. that jumped on very early and stayed true, you know, then you've got Alvaro Arias, who's uh, obviously not a name you guys would know, but came mm -hmm. on the year after that, um, 
and he's still here today as well. You know, and us three sort of were at that very initial stage when we had 25 or 30 players or 35 players. And, you know, we meet the boys at the airport. You know, we're driving back to the accommodation, which we've been painting ourselves the week before to get it ready. You know, we're putting up shirts in, in <laughs> shirt frames on the wall. Yeah. Um, you know, if the boiler broke, you know, we were going around in the middle of the night to, you know, light it back up again. You know, so it really was. Alvarez said sometimes that, uh, you know, the boys must have thought, what's going on here is some kind of joke. You know, you talk about hats. He's your, he's your coach. Yeah. And he was the physical coach. In the afternoon, he's driving you to a dentist appointment. In the <laughs> evening, he's coming around to fix your electricity. And, you know, so about people like that, you have to have the right people that are prepared to really go above and beyond and uh, yeah. are on the same wavelength as yourself. And it is like, as we touched on before, you know, managing people is, is key to any business. But obviously, in the type of thing you're doing, where you're taking a young person and then developing them, the t- you and your team are having such an impact on those people, on those ki- kids, really. Um, yeah, kids. Yeah, it it is it, it is impressive to see. I, I suppose Simon obviously talked about where you see, you know, the future in five years with 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 your teams and stuff like that. I suppose where do you see yourself? in five years yeah. like what, what's what's the next five years for you yeah at a minute you know and that's something over the last kind of um 24 months has come up a few times and um you know been very flattered with some sort of interest and opportunities that are, are presenting themselves but at the moment it would take something very special to take me away from what i'm doing you know because i'm so fulfilled every single day um it's seeing how big this has got and um, and being an important part of that, you know, it would it'd be very difficult to see me anywhere else, but at Malaga City at this stage, also for my, my family situation as well. You know, my son's in school here. Um, I have my mum and dad living close by as well there, you know, getting older now and health issues and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I probably would be keen to look into a you know, senior management or a senior role at a football club one day, but it would have to be somewhere with a lot of patience where things are looking to be done for a long time, yeah. you know, not in five minutes, because um, to walk away from what is your baby, essentially, that, mm. you know, kind of yeah. cradled from the start to now, and then you go somewhere and then, you know, three wrong results and, you you know, you're coming back the other way again. Um, mm. I, I see how volatile football is at the minute. And, um, and you know, here we take on coaches and we believe that, you know, until they go against our value system and they, they'll always be here. You know, if they get bad results in a certain team, maybe, you know, our reserve team manager goes really wrong one year. Well, maybe next year it's not, okay, you're going to be sacked. You're going to maybe go and work with the U17s for a year. We're going to send you on some CPD somewhere else to improve on this, mm. this and this. You know, we believe that people, once you're here, you're part of the family. You know, and we talk about mm. that a lot and that sort of phrase gets thrown around, but you can see from our employment history, it's something that we stick by. You know, people have multiple different roles, different teams, whether they're a head coach one year, assistant coach the next year, Go and do an S and C course. Um, you know, we want people to be in the club for for long periods of time. So, you've been going ten years. Is there a moment where you've stood somewhere on the pitch in a changing room somewhere else where you've gone? I'm I'm just so proud of this moment. Is there something that really sticks out in your mind where you've gone? You know what? This this is amazing. Yeah, I think that's easy, easy one, you know, and being a, a lifelong boyhood Real Madrid fan, um, you know, we had one opportunity. Uh, we only played them once. They're one of the hardest teams to get games against, you know, due to how thick the network is there. And um, and they're so in demand. They get even their under 18s, you know, they're, they're a mini business inside their club. You know, people will pay them to go and play in whatever tournament, exhibition game in, in Hong Kong, wherever it might be. Um, but but through a link that we had, we played them. Um, I think it was in 2016. It was live on Real Madrid TV. 
And, um, you know, standing there and, and seeing, you know, our young boys getting to walk out against Real Madrid. And it was when Raul was doing his coaching badges. So he was the opposition manager and was a, a hero of mine as well. And just to think that, you know, here we are, you know, painting houses and, and driving kids <laughs> around on minibuses. And, and here's Raul, you know, one of the all-time leading scorers for Real Madrid was was surreal as well. And the, the bit that I absolutely loved, so we walked out um, from the change rooms that had given us. I don't know if you had the pleasure of being there, but for me, it's mm. one of the best training grounds in the world. And um, and, and one of the, the kids heard a conversation, I was walking behind, we were going out to warm up and he said, oh, I can't believe it. He said, all these beautiful pitches and they put us on the AstroTurf. <laughs> and because the pitch was that good, we're walking out and it looked like an Astro. So how did you get on? Yeah, so we lost 4-0. We lost um, That's not bad uh, though, is it? Yeah. No, it wasn't bad. I mean, we probably did about 26 kilometers each player, but um, and <laughs> more than three times, but um, no, it was uh, it was superb. So, um, yeah, we're, we're coming close to the end. Uh, Dave, did you want to say something there? All I was going to say was, um, like you say, comparing to, I um, imagine, the experience that Raoul has had, um, he may have done some painting. I don't know the change of it, but um, I'm not entirely sure of that one, but maybe he had. But I suppose just my last question then, I suppose, is where, you know, where you've been to those highs that you've seen like that, where you, you know, there's how many people would give their right arm to, or left arm for that matter to, to take a team to play at the training ground there. I suppose, as Simon says, those, those proudest moments. Where... Mm as we've said like going forward like where you see yourself in the future what in the next i suppose in the next 12 months which you've obviously got a good sight on what is the thing that's got you the most excited about you know the season ahead that's coming and also obviously what you've got from a business side as well yeah i think um you know for me um being involved day to day with the senior team um, for this yeah. season coming. So last year I wasn't at the start. I, I sort of helped out when things didn't go very well at the beginning from November. Um, and that was a real, real hard slog. You know, when you're losing every Sunday and you're coming back in Monday morning um, and even, you know, you look at yourself in the mirror before you walk out the door and say, what am I going to say to these players? You know, we, mm. we've lost again. It was, it was our ideals that have gone wrong and um, how to keep the players believing in you, you know? And um, you know, so for me to get a clean slate and, be able to put my brand and, and stamp on a, on a squad of players from day one is hugely exciting as a coach. And, and as I kind of mentioned, I'm very fortunate to go through the pro license at the moment, which means I'm doing a lot of delving into myself and and who am I as a football coach and, and what is my, my player model and um, you know, maybe checking yourself a little bit. You know, so that's a very exciting process, which I'll be, be sort of finishing over the next 12 months and trying to implement things that um, I'm studying about myself and with some fantastic um, candidates on the course as well and trying to bring that back to the the club. And then also um, last year with the, the female side, so we we finished second to Elche. So in our in our female league, there's a lot more names. So there's Cadiz play there, Sevilla ladies play there, um, Malaga female team, um, and then Elche as well. And um, so last year, they had an incredible team with a big budget. And um, if we'd been in, so there's four groups at the level that we're at with our ladies. If we'd been in any other of the, the regions, we'd have been the champions. They just summed up so many points that we came second. Um, mm. And so we finished out at the at the gates, you know. So we're kind of excited to get another go at that. And Simon, I think you mentioned before, you saw us down at Estepona mm. um, you know, when, when you were over. Um, Amazing we, we made the 
it, it's amazing. It's amazing. But with the distance to the main club, we took the yeah. decision to bring our female team back to where our men's facility is in Nerka. Um, and we're now, we've put a petition into the federation to fixture us at home on the same weekend. And we're planning to do kind of a festival, a festival of football every Sunday. So it would be the women play, then the men play or, or something along that and have a real family day. And that's a new sort of concept that we're very, very excited to see how it works in the local community. Well, I thought Al Almanaca was really lovely as well. You know, when I went down there and did yeah. a, a session with the guys um, on the back pitch, but even the stadium, yeah. you know, was lovely. And it was yeah. a lovely little town. A uh, bit far for me from Malarin to travel all the time, but <laughs> it, it, Estepona was a bit easier. Um, but even Estepona was an hour away. Such a big space, isn't it? And you've, you've touched on yeah. the journeys and getting to and from places. Um, but it's such a beautiful place to go and visit and see all these things. You know, I remember my son was playing for Alarin. He was under 10s. And we went to an away fixture up in the mountains. And it was about an hour's yeah. drive away. And this pitch was up in the middle of nowhere. And it was just... You know, when you're looking back, his experience yeah. in, because he didn't settle in Spain, and that's why we came back to England. Um, he's got that, you know, that travel yeah. on the bus with all the lads. Yeah, he couldn't really understand what was going on. Um, there was a couple of English-speaking boys on there. But to play right up in the mountains on a, an AstroTurf pitch and just have that experience, I think, for me, yeah, I think people should go and experience that anywhere. Um, because yeah. what, what do you think with the way the Saudi's going? You know, um, do you see opportunities there? Do you think they're throwing money at it? It seems like they want yeah, to take yeah. the um, best players to Saudi to then get TV rights, apparently, you know, uh, and then once you've got TV rights and deals, obviously the money starts to flow then. So, have you got thoughts on what they're doing in Saudi? I mean, I'm maybe a, a bit of a cynic or a, a bit old school, you know, but when you see that much money getting thrown around so quickly, mm -hmm. you know, if I was getting involved or, or things like that, I'd always be worried about things going pop, um, yeah. um, you know, and moving outside of Europe, I'm not sure how easy that's going to be if, you know, un unpaid wages or claiming that back, you know, through the Saudi yeah. law system. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see it. You've got to respect it from the amount of money that they're putting into it now. Um, you know, it started off, obviously, as a bit of a fry in the pan with you know Ronaldo, but you know the amount of players yeah. that are going there now and the sums that are being discussed. Mm. I mean, you can't you can't write off anything. Um, I think heritage for me is what is one of the most beautiful yeah. things about about football. Um, yeah. You know, and a game that's not really changed that much in over a hundred years until we sort of had the the inception of, of VAR. You know, and mm. um, yeah. I, and I think that's always going to dominate. And for me, that's why as, as much as I. I Premier League's not necessarily my favourite league in the world, um, and the way that's going, how commercial that is. Mm. The FA Cup will always be my absolute favourite competition of any yeah. in the football world, you know, because of how um, incredible it is that you know any man and his dog can enter and it's you know mm. uh, knock out until the end, and it's the the oldest trophy in you know world football, you know. So for me, um, heritage will always win. Yeah, yeah, I sure isn't it. And I think yeah. um, I, I agree with you on that because to to have the Liverpools, the Manchester Uniteds, the Real Madrids, the Barcelonas, they've got such an affiliation around the team. The growth that Saudi Arabia would have to do, and it was like China tried, but they threw a load of money yeah. at it. And people just don't uh, acclimatise to the culture or they find it too challenging. And I think the heat in Saudi is another thing that can be really, really difficult for players. So they've got a lot of challenges. Money and players coming to the end of their career is a start. Mm. Um, but if you're going to look at it, they need the infrastructure similar to what you're trying yeah. to put in place of bringing people through, 
because just yeah. I think dropping people in who are there yeah. for a cash cow, see out their career, um, is the motivation, the desire. What trophies are you winning? It's not Champions League, yeah. is it? It's not FA Cup. And they're the ones that you want on your CV if you're a player going, yeah. you know what, that, that's what I really like. So it will be interesting. Um, yeah. But until they get that infrastructure that's in place, and I think, you know, you can offer some guidance on that. They probably go everywhere around the world, but it's <laughs> worth looking at. Um, we always say to... Go on, go on, George. No, I think, I just about going on to you, I think, you know, um, as well, though, if all these players are going to go there, for me, all it does is free up more minutes that players are going to have to play maybe people get more opportunities earlier you know and we'll find the uh the next the next superstars so um it's it's, it's interesting but you know if i was a player as well you know english player etc in the premier league you're playing in front of english people every single week and people that are passionate mm -hmm. when they've seen your national team shirt as well you know not saying there's anything wrong with saudi fans but do they have that same connection with the players um yeah. you know but foreign guys that have no connection even with your continent you know well, with yeah. their first team be some overseas team, will they have a Real Madrid, a Liverpool, and then they'll have a Saudi team? You know, I don't yeah. know. Will it be flipped? Yeah. Um, that that will be the, the, the real interesting thing for me. So we always say to the, the guest that's with us today, is there anyone that you would recommend that, you know, you would say this person's worth speaking to? Or, you know, I listened to a podcast myself about this person. I think they're a great um, source of information because... But uh, our, our big thing is getting interesting people on yeah. and they don't have to be famous, you know, but it's mm -hmm. interesting stories, you yeah. know, where they've taken something, they've turned it into something. It's really achieving lots of different things. You know, it's, it's all those because we want to share stories of people, everyday people. But sometimes there's people on, you know, yeah. my mate was on as a professional coach in boxing and his sons are both, you know, champions. So it's nice to have those people on and like, like yourself, but also other people like my friend who's a coach developer. Yeah. And just sharing our story so is there anyone that you think you know what that person would be worth a chat with yeah so i mean i'm um, talking of saudi so i got a very not very close but you know someone that helped me a lot when i first started um coaching i was doing some some ppa stuff um around sort of um some of the south london boroughs and so james malane he's worked at fulham crystal palace he's out yeah. in um in saudi at the minute so is I he mean, the geordie guy no he's um he's a cockney so he's from london ah, but okay. he's uh super super interesting had a uh kind of uh done very well in the academy system in the uk without having really played at any recognized level um mm. started his coaching journey very very young um and, he, and he's working for the the ministry of sport there in, in saudi launching mm. a huge product they're trying to he's trying to talent idea about a thousand players at the moment you know so he sends me through some whatsapps with some crazy stories and uh his perspective would be would be fascinating to be honest but, yeah, yeah. If, if you would mind connecting us and asking him, you know, if he says yeah. no, he says no. But like I say, we're always looking to speak to yeah. interesting people because one from our own personal development, we just like to learn and yeah. listen to other people's stories, but also to share theirs, you know, because sometimes yeah. I don't think beyond, you know, all the big podcasts, you know, who they're speaking to all the superstars and all these people from around. We want to speak and share the stories of everyone else. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, Kenneth, and see if you would be interested, that that, that would be fantastic. Um, so we are very close to the end. Dave, would you like to um, ask George the final question? Yeah, we always, yeah we always finish up with, um, with our guests if they've got a quote that I suppose epitomises um, your 
philosophy of life or or are you going to quote that you you know draw strength from my space have you got a quote that that per, you know that means something to you very easy for me so live every day like it's an interview you know so every day i wake up and uh i say it to the players live every single day like it's an interview so that's how a mantra i have and every moment i mean if i'm feeling uh a bit weak or down or, or not at my standards, not the best version of myself. I, that's what I say to myself. Live every day like this is an interview and uh, give the, the best you know you possibly can of yourself. Well, can I just say, you passed this interview. We'd like to offer you a job. <laughs> but it sounds like uh, what you're doing at the moment, I'd say stick with that rather than work with that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, really humbled and thank you for the opportunity to spend some time talking some football. George, yeah. thank you very much for our time. Yeah. So we're, we're going to stop there. Um, and if you want to stay on, that that'll be great because most people, as soon as we stop, they jump <laughs> off. <laughs> and we go where they go. They've disappeared. Yeah. George, so, can yeah. I just say that that's that's been excellent. As I say, our, our listeners are going to love this. It, the insights you've given, it, honestly, are fantastic. And and we'll also share all the resources because I know there'll be a lot of our listeners that will just want to keep tabs of what you're doing because I think, fantastic. and I know Simon will agree with me on this, mm. I think you're going places and your clubs are as well. So, you know, I think a lot of people will be fascinated for the next season ahead, but also that five years down the line. So, uh, you know, good luck with everything. But I don't think you really need thank that. Thank you. <laughs> always do. Always need support. And thank you so much. No worries. Cheers, George.